It's a great day for a semi-open air service. Uh, hear the birds and see the sunshine and feel the air blowing through. <laughs> we're uh, as we come to God's word this morning. We're we're going back to uh, James. What James started us on a couple of weeks ago, which is a series on the Ten Commandments. And we're going to be looking at the introduction to the Ten Commandments, if you will. How did God introduce these ten words, these ten laws, these ten commands? What context did he set them in? Well, we're going to explore that. But again, as we come back to the concept of law and commandments, if we're honest, uh, we feel a little twinge inside of us when we think of law, right? For some of us, it's sort of a, well, isn't that what we cast off now? Isn't the law something we're done with? Isn't it about grace now? Why do we look at the law? Some of us may hear, feel a different type of twinge that we hear or feel like almost this automatic response to go to a to-do list. Like, well, I've got to perform. I need to make sure I'm checking all the boxes. So I'm doing what I need to be doing to perform, and God gave us a list, so let's go to that. And I confess that I find myself on both ends of that sometimes, but uh, both of those things actually kind of remind me of the prodigal sons, both of them. And I think James mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, that the younger son said, we cast these things off, I'm going to do what I want now. It's grace, 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 and we go that way. And the older brother stayed at home and said, look, Father, I've, I checked off all the, the list of to-dos. I did not do a good job. And Both of the sons didn't really want the love of the father. It was more about them and what they wanted. I confess I find myself there sometimes. Perhaps you are with me in that. But both views are, uh, James and I were talking about this as an illustration. You know, when you're driving down the road, you don't look at the windshield you, you look through it to see where you're going, but these, either of those views of the law is sort of like looking at the windshield rather than looking at where you're going, where your goal is, which is the heart of the Father. That's what we're looking through to see. And it's jumping past that vital thing that is found in these first two verses of Exodus 20. And I'm going to read that for us now. I'm going to put it before us. And this is God's inerrant, infallible word to us. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, go to him now and ask that he would shape us and guide us from his word. Father, we do uh, give you thanks that you gave us your word that you uh, showed us your heart by speaking to us, your people. Would you indeed shape us? Uh, May we receive the love that you expressed us through your word. Make us more like Jesus, we ask this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, sometimes there's movies that I watch that... um, (laughs) <laughs> that just drive me nuts, right? Have you ever watched a movie that just makes you feel crazy? I watched one of those recently, and uh, I have to say it was, it was funny, it was silly, it was fun and entertaining, and also really depressing. It was, uh, maybe you've seen it, it's on Netflix, uh, Yes Day. Who's, who's seen Yes Day? <laughs> um, if you haven't, 
uh, it's, here's kind of how it goes. There's this family that, uh, you know, the, the mother is sort of an overprotective stay-at-home mom who's trying to run a really tight ship because she has an overcrowded schedule, an overcrowded calendar. So uh, her, she reflexively just says no to everything just because it's sort of how it's, how it's supposed to be. How to, you got to run a tight ship. So you've got that. And the husband's sort of this quintessential, like, fun dad who lets mom be the bad guy. Um, and just gets away with just having fun and saying sort of like, whatever, kids, you know, just do what you want. And you've got a, um, a typical sulky teenage daughter who's 14 and just uh, does whatever she wants to do. There's a silly, like, 9- or 10-year-old boy who's all into, like, socializing and having fun and being quirky. And then there's a, a kindergarten little girl who's just cute, right? Aren't they all? <laughs> Aren't the kindergartners all cute? Um, the parents get called to a, 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 par- a parent-teacher conference at school, and they're like, hey, can we want to share with you what's going on with the kids? Um, you know, your son made this video for one of the school projects, and it's videos of mom, like, saying no, 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 and it's like he portrays her as some sort of tyrant dictator at home, and they're like, we just wanted you to know about this, and she's shocked, and then she gets, both the parents get some parenting advice, and they say, how about giving your kids a yes day? They're like, you don't know our kids. And so anyway, they go through with it, mainly because I think uh, the mom just sort of felt threatened by the fact that she was being accused of being a tyrant. So they go for it. They say, let's do a yes day. And it starts out with the kids saying, all right, we're going for breakfast, and we're having this huge family-sized ice cream sundae for breakfast. Uh, before, or by the time that's over, the dad's sick in the bathroom at the restaurant. They go from there to the park where they do this fun, crazy kid-created uh, game where dad ends up in the hospital afterwards. <laughs> uh, if you've seen the movie, you know all these things and they, how they play out. It ends with the, the 14-year-old daughter at a rock concert by herself chasing some guys around, and she realizes, hey, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. And the son's uh, destroying the house with this uh, chemistry experience, uh, experiment party. Um, and everybody's sort of like, wow, what's... This is kind of crazy. <laughs> I read an article uh, about the movie just because I w- was interested to see what other people thought, other parents thought about it. And this writer says, uh, describes the movie as bright, cheerful, and incredibly depressing. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's sort of good. The, the, they say basically this yes day, the, the writer of the article says this yes day concept uh, is portrayed as the magic bullet to fix a broken family unit. Like, just do this and it'll, it'll be better. But uh, they go on to say, you know, forget the loss of sleep and the hemorrhaging of money and all that comes along with maybe doing a yes day. Uh, you know, all that aside, yeses and nos are the hardest part of parenting. When you become responsible for the thriving of a small human, full of his or her own desires, you have to figure out how best to be an authority in someone else's life. How about that? <laughs> okay, this isn't a sermon about parenting. Or is it? <laughs> Maybe fatherly, heavenly father, fatherly parenting. Here's the real issue. We tend to project our own broken family unit stuff onto God, right? We hear from God and we, uh, we sort of, like the, the children in the movie, just sort of chafe 
uh, or feel constrained by God's law. We sort of see that as, we sort of look at him through the lens of some distant cold or even worse, some tyrant who just uh, doesn't really care about what's good for us. We feel constrained by those things, right? We're tend, we tend to think that way. We just sort of think we need a yes day, right? Isn't, isn't that what Jesus came for? It's grace. That, that means a yes day, right? We throw off all those things and I, I'm free. I get a yes day. <laughs> but that leaves us, again, with a shallow view of God and a shallow view of his love. It sort of becomes transactional. It's like, hey, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Or if I do this for you, you'll do this for me, right? Can we have this yes day and then we'll do, we'll just, can we just do this? Can I get what I want? It's very interesting if we pay close attention to this context of the Ten Commandments. What I just read, the context sets things in a different light. We find that the context and purpose of the Ten Commandments is God's fierce love for his people. And it's displayed in a relentless pursuit, a desire to be known, and a freed people staying free. So those three things we're going to work through. It's what I see in this passage. These three things jump out at me. Now, what do I, why do I say relentless pursuit? What's going on there? Well, verse 1 says God spoke all these words. And that maybe doesn't seem like much. You might have just sort of jumped over that, uh, that God spoke all these words. But he spoke. He leaned in. He spoke to his people. And you know what comes before Exodus 20? Exodus 19 and 18 and 17 and 16 and all the way back to the beginning of Exodus. And you, know that you, you may know the story of everything that led up to Exodus 20, where God's people were in Egypt, and they were enslaved. And then God heard them. They cried out to God, and God heard them, and he responded, and he saved them and got them out of Egypt. And he saved them from when Pharaoh pursued them. He got them across the Red Sea, and then they were thirsty and grumbled against God, and God heard them, and he gave them water, and then they grumbled again because they were hungry, and God gave them food, and so on and so on. And they even said at some point, like, man, it really would have been, can we just go back to Egypt? Let's go back. I mean, at least we had food there, right? Let's, can we go back? And, and yet God continues to lead his people. To love them. And 19 says, you are my chosen people, my precious possession. So when we say God spoke all these words, it's all in that context of that story. It's the rhythm of Exodus, if you will. The story, the rhythm of Scripture. But we still sort of ask, like, hey, really, what's up with God's law? Like, what, what do we really do with it? I know it's, it's good, right? I'm told it's good. I know in here that it's good. It's, I'm told that it's good. But what's up with it? What's the meaning of all this? Well, if you have that question, uh, God anticipated that, that question. He actually answered it. Uh, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, I'm just going to read it for us, uh, verses 20 to 25. It says there, this is where um, a generation has gone by now from where we are in Exodus. Okay, They're about to enter the promised land. A generation has wandered in the wilderness, and now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. 
okay? And so it says, hey, if, if one of your sons asks you, what's the meaning of the stipulations and decrees and laws of the Lord our God, that law, the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? So if you're, one of your children asks you, hey, what, what's up with these laws, Dad? What, what is this, what's the meaning of this stuff? You should tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees, to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. God anticipated that we might ask that question, that the next generation would wonder, what's up with these commandments? But did you hear in that that it was for the purpose of our thriving? That we would prosper and be kept alive. Here, be kept free. And we're going to get into that more in a minute. I was talking with someone earlier this week, and they said, hey, I had someone recently tell me, hey, I, I've always kind of, I always knew the gospel, but I've never really heard the music of the gospel. Do, do you know what the difference is on that? Maybe I, it sort of sounded, I mean, I processed that with this person, and I, I thought, well, what do you think that means? And it, it sounded like, you know, we can know the gospel here. We can know God's love here. But hearing the music of the gospel is sort of like hearing the rhythm of the story, hearing God's heart for his people, the music of the gospel. Uh, Music often plants something true in here, doesn't it? My my youngest, Selah, she's one and a half, uh, when music's on in our house, she just moves. She starts dancing, right? And I I can tell you right now I didn't teach her that because I don't know how to do that. Um, but nobody's taught her that. She's one and a half. She's not old enough for somebody to teach her how to like dance and move. She just does it. It's almost like it's instinctual. Music just moves us. It's interesting. When the son asked the father in Deuteronomy six, "What's the meaning of these laws?" You know, he's he's sort of looking at the windshield, and the father plays the music for him. He tells him the story. This is what God did. This is the rhythm of God's heart for his people. Look at the Father. Do you hear the rhythm of God's word, of God's law? Do you hear the story behind it? Can you hear his heart behind the information that he shares? The rhythm is a God whose relentless love for his people, a people who, who kept not loving him, <laughs> right? Isn't that the music of the gospel? God kept loving his people even when they didn't love him back. Who can say that's been true of us in our own story? God loved us first. It's the rhythm of the gospel. It's the music of the gospel. God keeps loving an unlovable people. How do we typically handle uh, loving someone who doesn't love us back? Have you ever been in those situations? It's hard, isn't it? What do you do with that? You see, our love, because it's finite, it's broken, it's in this fallen state, 
It's not perfect like God's love. It's different. Our love, when we love someone who doesn't love us back, it can turn inward, right? Can it? It can turn back inward. It can lead to frustration, anger, pride, resentment, envy, all those things, right? That love can turn in that direction. What about God? What is God's love like when he's not loved in return? I, uh, Tim Keller talks about uh, God's jealous love. Jealousy sort of sounds bad sometimes to us, but for God, it's perfect. Because it's, as Keller said here, I'm borrowing from him, it's an angered love that stays love. It doesn't turn into envy or pride or anger and all that. It's, it's a fierce love that stays love for his people because it wants its good. He wants his good for his people. It stays love. It's relentless. It will not waver. It won't settle for anything less than a pure devotion from a perfectly loving husband. He's the hound of heaven. We may run to other lovers, but he still pursues us. So if God's love is a relentless pursuit, and the context for the Ten Commandments is a relentless pursuit of his people, what else is going on here? What else is in the context of these laws? Well, not only does he relentlessly pursue, but he wants to be known. God wants to be known by his people. Verse 2, when he says, I am the Lord your God, when it says Lord, he's actually using his personal name in Hebrew, Yahweh, as best we know how to say it. (laughs) He's giving his personal name. He said, I I am Yahweh, your God. Oh, and by the way, when he says your, it's actually a singular you. I am Yahweh. Your God, I'm your God, I'm your God, who set you, singular. It's like he's talking to us each individually. I'm your God, and here's my name. I want to be known. I was talking with a, a, a friend of mine this week. Many of you know that I've got sort of a group of folks that I call a parish. <laughs> People that I've been spending time with outside the church, uh, I get time to talk with him from time to time, and I was just sharing with him uh, this, this passage that I was going to be speaking on it this, this Sunday. And I said, what is your view of the Ten Commandments? What is typically, what do we, how do we view that? And he said, well, it's often viewed as sort of legalistic, like transactional, right? And I said, uh, these first couple of verses give it a context that almost sounds like the renewal of wedding vows, where God's saying, I'm your husband, remember? This is my name, this is who I am, I'm your husband. And in a marriage vows, there are things to do to honor that love that is received. And I asked my friend, I was like, what do you think about that? He's like, well, I've never heard it put that way, but it makes sense. (laughs) And he went on to tell me a story about a coworker of his, it just made him think of the story. He said, you know, I used to uh, have a coworker where I used to work, and we were on a, a business trip, and we were at a restaurant, and we were at the uh, Coke dispenser machine. And uh, this uh, coworker of mine, we were, he said, well, they were great friends. He, the, she was there getting her drink, and the drink machine just sort of like sprayed all over, it kind of exploded and sprayed all over, right? And she was obviously frustrated by that. And she said, you know, somebody owes me an apology here. 
And she, she turned to my friend and said, right, don't you think someone owes me an apology for this happening to me? And he, he said, uh, not really. And she was just like, what? How? Of course they do. And my friend said, well, I kind of really think that nobody really owes us anything. And that ended up leading them on to just a longer conversation that evening that went to her view of faith, her view of Christianity, her view even of the Ten Commandments that came out. And uh, he said it sounded very, her view was very transactional. Like, hey God, if I do this for you, you'll do this for me, right? You'll bring good to me. And, and I can check these things off. Say, look, look God, look what I did. And my friend said something that was really just rather profound, <laughs> So it just sounds like a really shallow view of God. Surely God's not that shallow, right? I was like, yeah, I don't think he is either. <laughs> I think he's much more deep than we ever realized. A transactional God, though, is safer, right? Because we still have control of the situation. Like, hey, I, I've, I'll do this, God, and you do this for me, right? Okay, well, it sort of puts us on equal playing field like business partners, it's not what God wants, but that feels safer to us. A God who wants to be known completely is much less safe, but much more transformative. You see, he gives us his personal name to his people in the introduction to his commandments. He said, I'm Yahweh, your God. You think about that, someone wants to be known, it, it's kind of scary, right, to, to fully know someone else, to receive their love. To receive love is, means this might change me. This may change me. But when God says this, I'm Yahweh, your God. It's sort of like this. I, I imagined it sort of like this. Say a, fa- a father's son is arrested and put in prison for like maybe the seventh time. I don't know, some big number, right? And the father comes to get him out this time, and the son sees the father waiting for him as he's walking out, and he's like, oh boy, I'm, I'm going to get it this time. I mean, he's always got me out every, every other time, but surely he's done with me now. And when the son comes to the father, the father puts his arms on his shoulders and looks him in the eyes and says, I am your father. I love you. And I always will. And there is nothing that you can do to change that love. That's sort of like what God says right here when he says, I am the Lord your God. That's sort of what he's saying here. And he's like, I want to be known. I want you to know my love for you. But we struggle to receive love, don't we? It's scary. Especially that kind of love. Because it demands all. It wants all of us. It totally reorients our, li- reorients our lives around that person who loves us like that. His name means I am who I am. When Moses heard his name and when he found the burning bush and God spoke to him through the burning bush, he said, I am who I am. That's sort of what his name means. It means I'm unwavering in my love. It's relentless. It will never it will never change. It's who I am, and I want to be known. Do you know this God? Do you know that love? Sometimes we can make caricatures of God. 
and sort of picture him, picture him as some sort of maybe grouchy guy who gets frustrated with us when we mess up, right? But do you know the God whose fierce love is unrelenting for you? He wants to be known. Now, this fierce love that's the context for these Ten Commandments is also displayed in a freed people staying free. Now, what, why do I say that? Well, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What does that mean? He freed them from slavery. What does it mean to be free? I think we can misunderstand or misconstrue freedom. I, uh, my daughter has a fish tank. Uh, we've gone through three fish in the last year and a half, right? Um, and she's actually very good at taking care of them. It's usually my fault that I don't clean it often enough or whatever. Or maybe a younger sibling goes in there and tries to dump way too much food in there and it just totally destroys the whole ecosystem of the fish tank and the fish dies or something like that, right? But the question is, when is the fish, how is the fish going to be free? You know, do I take the fish and say, well, you're going to be free if I go, like, dump you in the gutter. You go, go be free. Do what you want to do. Um, is the fish free? <laughs> I don't know. Is the fish free if it's dead? So the fish is dependent on us to clean the water regularly, give it the right amount of food, keep that ecosystem in a situation where the conditions allow the fish to thrive, to be free to thrive, right? God frees us to thrive, but we misunderstand freedom. You know, we're we're actually controlled by our desires, aren't we? We think freedom is, I want to go do whatever I want to do. I want to have autonomy. I want to follow my desires, And we think we have control of those desires, but actually it's the other way around, isn't it? We're controlled by our desires. We're free to uh, live according to the desires we have, according to how we're made. Does anyone know, have someone in their life who's an addict? I think we can actually all be addicted to lots of things, but if you know someone who's an addict or in recovery... I know a few, and I, I talked to a friend this week who's a recovered alcoholic. I said, what, is it, what does freedom mean to you? He said, it's being freed from my desire for alcohol so that I can have something greater in my life than that desire. Being freed from a desire that's trying to destroy me. <laughs> it's a daily battle of not doing what I think I want to do. It's a different way to look at freedom, isn't it? You know, I could ask Levi, my son, like, hey, what do you want to do today? And if he says, I want to go ride my trike out on uh, Chaltville Road, is he free if I say, yeah, sure, go for it. Have fun. He's not going to be free if he's dead, (laughs) right? I, I need to set up conditions for his life where he is free to thrive, to stay free. The big question is, how do a freed people stay free? God says here, I freed you. 
You're out of Egypt. I freed you from the house of slavery. Now here's some commands. Oh, God, I thought I was free, God. What, what's up with this? Our response to that really is more telling about what's going on in here than it is our view of what, who God is and what he wants for us. Jesus said in Mark 8, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the Gospels, you'll save it. It sounds like freedom there is total surrender, right? (laughs) Total surrender. How is that? Well, it comes from understanding our design purpose. We were never made to handle the weight of autonomy. That's just not how we were created. We just can't do it. It'll kill us. It'll crush us. We were made for relationship with God. That's our created purpose, and that informs what it means to be free. Are you free? Are you free? You might be rest, you might know deep down inside there's something that's controlling me. I don't feel free from it, but I want to be free from it. It's a good longing to be free from the things that control us that are lesser. You know what you do? The only thing we can do? Surrender everything. <laughs> Surrender our lives to what Jesus says. Jesus sets us free to be with him. If we lose our lives for his sake, we will save it. So this Yes Day movie, it, it's, it'd be fun. If you haven't seen it, it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's entertaining. As the writer of that article says, it's funny, bright, and incredibly depressing. Why is that? I don't think we often take enough time to consider how empty the, the magic bullet fixes are in our lives that we have, right? We like to come up with a fix, don't we? If we got a problem, especially as guys, I, I, I love to try to find a fix for something. But if I slow down long enough and just sort of think about what the fix is, it often just comes up empty. You know, if I get a yes day today, Right? If I get a yes day today, what's tomorrow going to be? Is it going to be a no day? I'm going to want another yes day tomorrow, <laughs> and the day after that, and the day after that. But So it's not going to fix it. It's just going to make me want more yes days, probably. Sometimes we just want to be coddled. It's like, hey, God, we, will you throw me a few snacks? Like, you know, sort of like my kids in the back of the van. Like, Daddy, I want a snack. Like, God, will you throw me a snack? <laughs> uh, C.S. Lewis <laughs> just seems right in what he says here. He says our desires, I don't think God thinks our desires are too strong. They're too weak. We're far too easily pleased. Maybe the writer of this article uh, realized that and was hoping for something more than a yes day. <laughs> you know, there was... Another kind of yes day was the day that Jesus said yes to his father when his father said, go to the cross for my people. Jesus said yes. The father got a yes day. He said, yes, I'll become a man among men. I'll pursue our people. I'll make you known. I'll set them free. Yes, father, I will do it. Yes, I'll go live the perfect life that they cannot. Yes, I'll go to that cross for their sin. 
And the father said, yes, I'll raise you up. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's a different kind of yes day. And it's the kind of yes day that we need to be the recipients of. Do you know him? Do you know that kind of fierce love that pursues his people? If you know it, you know that it will most certainly change you. It asks for everything. And it's how we can view these Ten Commandments as we move through them in the coming weeks. It is in the context of God's fierce love for his people. If you've not received that love, today is a great day to surrender to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for clearing uh, the, the clutter in our minds and hearts. Lord, we, we clutter it up with so many things, so many caricatures of you, so many misguided views of you and what you mean by freedom. Thank you for showing us once again that it is your fierce love for us that is the context, the framework, that is the basis for all that you say in your Ten Commandments and in your law. It is for us to stay free, to stay connected to you. It is to point us to your son Jesus, that we will be united in him, that he fulfilled it all. Lord, thank you for making that clear. May we live in light of that this week and in the coming weeks as we hear about these Ten Commandments, that we would see them in light of your love for us. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.